Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Celeste Beard Johnson? Celeste Beard Johnson was born in Santa Barbara, California on February 13, 1963. The identity of her biological parents is not known. She only met with her birth mother on one occasion and the meeting did not go well. Her mother told her, I am not your mother, I was just your incubator. Edwin and Nancy Johnson adopted Celeste and three other children within a four-year time period. The couple did not really seem to be well-equipped to raise children. Here are some of the statements that the adoptive children made about family life with Edwin and Nancy. Nancy had mental health problems and spent time in a psychiatric hospital. Evidently, the symptoms were pronounced. She would tell the children things like, you're with us because your real mother didn't love you, and I don't love you either. Nancy would hold them underwater too long when she was rinsing their hair in the bathtub. In the early 70s, the family fell on hard financial times when Edwin's business failed. According to the children, Edwin became violent and bizarre after this, although he denied that accusation. Toward the end of 1977, the couple separated and would begin an acrimonious divorce process that would go on for some time. Prior to this, Celeste had been described as manipulative by her siblings, but after her parents separated, Celeste started manifesting violent behavior as well. The police would regularly visit the family's house. Celeste started to become reckless and promiscuous. She met a 19-year-old man named Craig Bratcher when she was 17, Celeste was alienated by her friends. They viewed her as just too dangerous to be around, too unpredictable and angry. Celeste married Craig on December 6, 1980. By this time, she was pregnant. About two months later, she would give birth to twin girls. During their marriage, Celeste did not want to have sex with Craig. She said it was because of traumatic experiences in her family. Celeste did have sex with a number of other men, which of course aggravated Craig. Not surprisingly, things didn't work out between the couple. They divorced in May of 1982. Celeste started a romantic relationship with a woman, but this relationship was also tumultuous and eventually failed. 
Celeste reunited with Craig, and they moved to Arizona, where Celeste would give birth to a girl in 1986. She put the baby up for adoption. She was able to defraud the adoptive parents out of $10,000 by demanding they pay the hospital bill, when in reality, Craig's insurance paid that bill. Celeste left Craig and found another love interest. He was an Air Force mechanic. She took a job managing accounts payable at an ICE wholesaler. She was able to get this job by lying about having a college degree. I'm sure selling ICE wholesale is a real business and everything, but it just doesn't seem complex enough to be necessary. I can picture an orientation day for a new employee at an ICE wholesaler. The manager's like, okay, first what you do is you freeze the water, then you sell it. Training over. Celeste married the Air Force mechanic in 1988. The relationship was tumultuous. Celeste made false allegations against him, was dramatic, and threatened to bring an end to her own life. Eventually, she moved out. At one point, she drove her Ford Taurus to the desert and set it on fire to get insurance money. A burning Ford Taurus is only slightly less valuable than a non-burning one. Celeste was arrested in 1991 in connection with insurance fraud related to a burglary. So, totally separate insurance fraud from the deal with the car. While still being legally married to her second husband, Celeste married another man in August of 1991. After another series of adventures involving erratic behavior, arguments, and violence, that marriage would fail as well. Celeste took a job as a waitress at a country club in Austin, Texas. It was there that she would meet a man named Stephen Beard. He was 38 years her senior. She was 32 and he was 70. He had been an executive for Fox Broadcasting. He was a multimillionaire. He had been married before, but his wife of 42 years died of cancer shortly after he met Celeste. Celeste quit the job at the country club and moved into Stephen's house in Westlake, Texas. As was customary for Celeste, she lied about her background, saying that she had a degree in accounting. Family and friends of Stephen immediately recognized Celeste as a fraud. Stephen wasn't receptive to hearing anything negative about Celeste. He was infatuated with her. In particular, he liked her high level of interest in sex, whereas Celeste was infatuated with Stephen's high interest in money. Celeste tried something different. She waited for her divorce to be finalized before marrying Stephen on February 18, 1995. The couple had a prenuptial agreement that stipulated Celeste would receive half a million dollars if they stayed married for three years. This wasn't in the event of Stephen dying. It was just a payment, so Celeste would stay married to him. If Stephen died after three years, the payment would be $1 million. I'm not sure if this particular version of a prenuptial agreement has a specific name, but I was thinking death wish prenup would be fitting. This represented the entire agreement between the couple. Celeste could have stayed married to Stephen for 20 years, and she would still only get half a million dollars. So there was no inheritance. Celeste started spending a lot of Stephen's money. At one point, she cleaned out his safe deposit box containing his dead wife's jewelry. Stephen was pretty upset by this. He threatened her with divorce. It sounds like he was pretty serious, but Celeste was able to talk him out of it by apologizing. She blamed her traumatic family history for her behavior. In 1997, the year before Stephen owed Celeste the half a million dollars, he gave it to her. So he gave it to her early. She spent it all in six months. Not long after this, Celeste was admitted into a mental health facility. When she was there, she met a woman named Tracy Tarleton. 
The two had become friends, then lovers. Tracy was more invested in the relationship than Celeste. At one point, the two were separated in the mental health facility because Tracy made statements suggesting she wanted to kill Stephen Beard. Essentially, she was saying that if he was out of the picture, she could be with Celeste. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. In the fall of 1999, Tracy and Celeste conspired to kill Stephen Beard. The plan was for Tracy to sneak into his house and shoot him with a shotgun. Celeste told Tracy to shoot him in the stomach because she did not want blood on the wall. On October 2, 1999, shortly after 2 a.m., Tracy executed the plan. She drove over to the house. She parked in an area specified by Celeste. She walked through the door, which was unlocked, made her way into Stephen's bedroom, and shot him point-blank in the stomach using a 20-gauge shotgun loaded with birdshot. She failed to pick up the ejected shell casing, but did not worry about it because Celeste was supposed to retrieve it if Tracy could not find it. After this, Tracy fled the scene, undetected. Stephen called 911 to report the attack. He didn't know what happened. He told the dispatcher that his guts jumped out of his stomach. After the paramedics arrived and examined him, they didn't know what happened either. They thought maybe he recently had a surgery and his wound reopened, but then one of the police officers found the ejected shotgun shell, and everybody knew it was an attempted murder. Stephen was taken to the hospital and treated. It didn't take long for the police to receive a tip that Tracy may have been the shooter. They paid her a visit, and they asked her if she had a 20-gauge shotgun. She said that she did, and she gave it to them. It matched the shell casing found at the scene. On October 8, Tracy Tarleton was arrested and charged with injury to an elderly individual. She eventually confessed that she shot Stephen Beard. On January 22, 2000, Stephen Beard died from a blood clot related to the injuries sustained in the shooting, which of course meant that Tracy was due for an upgrade from assault to murder. As Tracy was sitting in jail waiting trial, she read in a newspaper that Celeste had remarried six months after the homicide. She had married a guy she met in a bar. Tracy was upset because she thought that her relationship with Celeste was special. She felt betrayed. Tracy was stunned that somebody willing to conspire to commit murder would betray her. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Right before her murder trial started, Tracy revealed the conspiracy to the police. She said that Stephen had been emotionally abusive to Celeste, which prompted Celeste to convince her to shoot Stephen. 
the plan after Stephen was dead was for Tracy and Celeste to be together romantically. In exchange for her testimony against Celeste, Tracy was offered a 20-year prison sentence for murder. Tracy pleaded guilty to murder and was sentenced to 20 years, eligible for parole in 10. She was released from prison in August of 2011. In March of 2002, Celeste was arrested and charged with murder. In 2003, she was convicted of capital murder and injury to an elderly individual. She was sentenced to life in prison. She will be eligible for parole on April 1, 2042, at age 80. In prison, she wrote a cookbook titled, From the Big House to Your House. I'm not sure there's a big market for prison food. I've never heard a conversation where somebody says, What do you want to eat tonight? Do you want to get Italian, Chinese, burgers? No, I'm really in the mood for two ounces of meat product and a quarter cup of rice. Let's check out the new prison place on 7th Avenue. I think it's called Vomit Without Parole. We could also try the other place on Main Street, Trumped Up Beef. Now moving to my analysis. What mental health and personality factors may be at work with Celeste Beard? Celeste was technically diagnosed with PTSD, a major depressive disorder. Mental health experts testifying at her trial made a few observations. They said that Celeste had experienced severe trauma. She had flashbacks, overwhelming anxiety, and a need to be the center of attention. She was impulsive, needed to spend money on others to buy friendship, and was not a strategic thinker. It sounds as though they were suggesting she had histrionic personality features. As far as Tracy, testimony indicated that she had an extensive mental health history. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder with psychosis. She also had difficulty regulating her intake of substances. Tracy's mental health clinician suggested that she was desperate to have sex with Celeste. This was a major motivator for her. They also said that Tracy did not have any psychotic episodes from June of 1999 through the time of the shooting. So they're saying psychosis did not explain her behavior. Moving on to the next question, was Celeste Beard actually guilty? Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that she was guilty, starting with the inculpatory evidence. The spending done by Celeste was out of control. A report from Stephen's accountant appeared to support this idea. It indicated Celeste had spent several hundred thousand dollars a month starting in October when Stephen was shot. This hardly seems like the behavior of somebody who's grieving the loss of a beloved husband. Rather, it seems like someone who's achieved what they wanted, access to Stephen's wealth. Celeste and Tracy were having an affair. Celeste actually had several affairs when she was married to Stephen. All things being equal, this increases her chances of being involved in a homicide. On the day of the shooting, Celeste spoke to Tracy by phone eight separate times for 15 minutes. Celeste paid her assistant $12,000 to hire a hitman to kill Tracy. One gets the sense that Celeste didn't want Tracy dead because she was upset about the murder. Rather, she wanted her dead because Celeste did not want to go to prison. Celeste told her daughters not to bring up the topic of Tracy to the police. This was prior to the police figuring out that Tracy was responsible. On the night of the shooting, before it happened, Celeste encouraged one of her daughters to spend the night at Stephen's lake house. She had never let her daughter use the lake house before. Celeste drove to the lake house and dropped off a dog who normally slept in the same room with Stephen. This was also highly out of the ordinary. Celeste had a history of manipulation, deception, 
and filing false complaints. It's not unthinkable that she manipulated Tracy into committing homicide. If there was no conspiracy, why was the door unlocked and the security system off at the house the night Tracy shot Stephen? Celeste routinely commented about how much she disliked Stephen. She had talked about wanting to help Stephen along to his death. Her daughter saw her add more potent alcohol to his vodka. He drank this regularly, and she would mix sleeping pills into his food. On the night of the shooting, a first responder said that Celeste expressed over-the-top emotions and then no emotions, so back and forth. So at one moment, she was described as hysterical, and another moment, she was perfectly calm. Tracy testified that she and Celeste were in a conspiracy. Now moving to the exculpatory evidence. Tracy was not a reliable witness. Her mental health history suggested she had separated from reality on various occasions. She had a strong motive to testify that there was a conspiracy. She was out of prison by 2011. Without the plea deal, she would have been in prison for life. During the trial, Tracy seemed like she was angry at Celeste. At one point, she said she was testifying because she and Stephen were both fooled by the same woman. It is reasonable to believe that Tracy wanted revenge on Celeste, and implicating her in Stephen's death was an expedient way to achieve that goal. Almost all the witnesses who testified about the character and behavior of Celeste could be thought of as unreliable and had something to gain. Because Celeste and Tracy were in a romantic relationship, Tracy had the key of the house. It would stand to reason that if she had a key, she also had the security code. So this offers another theory about how she could have gained entry into the house. There was no physical evidence connecting Celeste to the crime. No DNA, no fingerprints, no emails no witnesses who saw her conspiring. Celeste was highly disorganized and had not been successful in getting away with many crimes in the past. She was not a criminal mastermind. So in considering everything, do I think Celeste was actually guilty? I believe that she probably was, but I think there is some reasonable doubt in this case. So guilty in reality, but not guilty by the legal standard. Considering that Tracy had several breaks from reality, it is plausible that she had a delusion that there was a conspiracy. I think Celeste was convicted because she emotionally abused Stephen and her daughters. I think the jury was disgusted with Celeste Beard. My final thoughts in this case, I think that Celeste had a traumatic upbringing. She developed a very destructive relational style. She didn't have empathy. She was self-centered, arrogant, deceptive, manipulative, dramatic, greedy, and sadistic. She made false accusations and committed numerous other crimes like fraud. I think her impulsivity was her undoing. It led to her wanting to accelerate Stephen's death. He was in terrible health before the shooting. It's likely he would have been dead within a few years, but Celeste could not wait. Impulsivity penalized her in another way as well. If she had picked up the shotgun shell, which was part of the plan, it's likely Tracy never would have been arrested. Celeste offered a number of warning signs that she would someday commit a serious crime, but many people chose. To ignore them. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.